Actually, I'm going to sing. Well, we can pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the love that you show us. Thank you for uh, dying on the cross, coming down as a man to show us how to live a good life. And I pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit would speak to us as we uh, jump into the Sermon on the Mount, the very Beatitudes that you said to those people on that hill. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry about the uh, lack of a transition there. I'll try to stall a little longer. Okay, it's not long enough. Um, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 10, go through verse 16. And um, we're going to be wrapping up the Beatitudes tonight. And uh, if, if something is not so like understandable because of what, what I'm talking about this evening, um, please go back to our website and click on um, the iTunes link and listen to those previous sermons because those will lay uh, uh, more of a foundation as to what we're talking about this evening. So if it just kind of, what is he talking about? It, it probably was addressed before. And um, the past couple of weeks, we've established that the Beatitudes aren't goals for us to strive for. That they're actually a, a proclamation that the kingdom of the heavens is even available to those who are poor, meek, mournful. And when we look at these attributes of being hungry for righteousness, um, merciful, pure in heart, the question isn't whether these conditions make us eligible for blessedness. Rather, it's in, it's in spite of these conditions that God makes His kingdom available to us and that that allows us to be blessed. And the blessedness Jesus talks about is in the kingdom and not in the condition. For example, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, He didn't mean that they earn their blessing because they're a peacemaker or because of their condition. But it was in spite of their position, in spite of the predicament they found themselves as a peacemaker, that they were freely invited into the kingdom of grace. That through trust in Jesus, you and I may enter the kingdom and receive the fruit of Jesus' life regardless of our past, regardless of the things that we've done, regardless of the things that you feel would disqualify you from having a relationship with Jesus. And the primary theme and the purpose of the Scriptures is our transformation. It's not just the accumulation of information. It's not head knowledge but it's the transformation of our character. So let's go through the last couple of Beatitudes, and then I'd like to explore the Beatitudes in a more modern version. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are attacked when they stand up for what is right. These are the people who suffer temporary harassment to those who suffer lifelong persecution and perhaps even suffer death because they stand against what is wrong. And you know that many people in Oakland don't want to report a crime even though they know who committed it, right? Because they're afraid of what's going to happen to them. And even though we have witness protection programs, it's not enough to persuade those people to come forward and let justice be done. They don't have the confidence that the government or anyone else can protect them. So here we have people blessed for standing for what is right even though... They may be threatened or even lose their lives because of this position. But let's not forget those who are too afraid to stand up for themselves and to stand up for what is right. The kingdom is open to those people as well. 
Remember, blessed are the meek. So it's open to the meek as well. And a main point is that His kingdom is available to the lowest people, the ones without any hope. Again, not because they are the lowest people, but it's in spite of being a low person. Verse 11, Blessed are you when, you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Blessed are those who are insulted, lied about, persecuted, because others have perceived that a disciple of Jesus has lost their mind and they take Jesus too seriously. Do you know that that is how Jesus' disciples were viewed at the time? They were thinking, those guys are nuts. How can you believe that that hick over there is the one that's going to deliver us from the Roman Empire? Right? You're insane. You're crazy. There's no way. How can you believe that a carpenter from like Timbuktu can, can overthrow a Roman government? Right? And so imagine how degrading that was for those disciples. Imagine having everything you stand for, everything you live for, everything that you value in question because people think you're crazy for sincerely following Jesus. And some may even think that they're doing a favor for you by taking your life. Jesus even warns us about this in John chapter 16, verses 2 through 4. Verse 2, The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. So right after verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, he then goes on to share verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we can literally translate this phrase, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, as jumping for joy when this happens. Why? Because we have the knowledge that even now, right now, in this present moment, we have a wonderful and everlasting reward in God's world, in the heavens, the heavens now. And our standing before God the Father is as an eternal family member through Jesus, who has made His love, His companionship, His resources available to us now and forever. And that's our inheritance. What a beautiful inheritance Jesus has given us. He has opened the kingdom of God to everyone by announcing blessedness to those who are thought to be the most hopeless and by proclaiming woes to those who are regarded as the most well-off. And I'd like to share a, a couple of stories from the life of Jesus to show you a link between the Beatitudes and His life and Jesus' ministry. And one story takes place in Nazareth, his hometown. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the liberty of those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes were on him in the synagogue. They were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. How did those people in the synagogue respond? Jump down to verse 28. 
So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down the cliff. They wanted to kill him for claiming to be God's anointed leader. These people knew him as a carpenter's son, Joseph's son. Joseph and Jesus probably worked for those very same people in that synagogue. So for him to come now and proclaim, I'm a Messiah, they're like, you're nuts. You used to work for me. You were my laborer. You made things for me. I paid you. And so notice how this list of people that Jesus talks about from Isaiah is so similar to the Beatitudes. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. It's a list of people regarded as lost causes. But through Jesus, the blessing of the kingdom of the heavens is made available to them. And Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah. The second story comes later in the chronology of Jesus' ministry. It's, it's about Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who's in prison. And he's actually been in prison for a while now and, and totally doesn't understand like what Jesus is doing or what he's not doing. And John, like many others, probably thought that the Messiah was going to take over the government by overthrowing the established Roman government and put in this new world order. And John thought that the Messiah was going to deliver them politically, not by meeting individual needs through humble acts of service like Jesus did, but actually overthrowing the government. And that's a good reminder for us, being that the presidential election is right around the corner, is that we're not supposed to rely on a political establishment or a political figure. We are to rely on Jesus. And Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6, let's read through that. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to the two, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And, the, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Again, notice the beatitude language in terms of who Jesus addresses here. The blind, the lame, the lepers, lepers, the lepers, the deaf, the dead, and the poor. And also the beatitude language is also saying who's blessed, right? Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed are those who are not disappointed with me. Jesus was offensive to be thought of as the Messiah because the Jewish people were expecting a, a political deliverance from Roman domination. Jesus was a disappointment to them because He came against the expectations of the people. He didn't do what they thought He was going to do. And this term blessed in verse 6 is the same one used in the Beatitudes. It refers to the pinnacle of well-being that's possible for humans. It also refers to, in, in Greek, it also refers to this heavenly existence of a Greek God. And in both of these cases, Jesus points out a list of hopelessness. A list of people who are blessed by God to meet them in their deplorable needs. And Jesus makes available to them the kingdom of God. And last week we talked about how God flips things or reverses things. And He changes our assumptions. How He takes our general assumptions and He corrects them. He, goes he digs deeper with them, right? And that's what Jesus addresses in Mark chapter 10, verse 31. Mark 10, 31. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. What we think to be important really isn't. And what we think isn't important is really significant to God. And generally speaking, many of the things we think are blessed or are first in human terms are actually low or last in God's terms. 
Many of the things we regard as cursed or last are actually blessed or first in God's eyes as they rely on Jesus, as they rely on the kingdom of God. What the Beatitudes are, are a list of human lasts who by the touch of Jesus become God's firsts. The gospel of the kingdom is not that no one is beyond the purpose of the Beatitudes. What's the purpose of the Beatitudes? It's that Jesus and His power and His righteousness are available to anyone who relies on Him. That this rule of God is available to everyone. Everyone can attain it. And it can reach everyone as well. And we are effectively living out the gospel of the kingdom if we can confidently go to anyone lacking hope and give them assurance that they can enter a life of blessing with God right now. Are we able to do that? Who would be on your list of someone who is hopeless? The hopeless can be blessed by you and me if we share with them the availability of the kingdom of God through Jesus. And the hopeless hopeless ones Jesus listed in the Beatitudes, those are timeless examples, aren't they? You find people that are meek. You find people that are pure in heart. You find people that are in mourning. You find people poor in spirit, right? The list goes on. Those are timeless examples. But can we specifically point out who in our ordinary life, in our culture, in our time, in our everyday life, is in need of a beatitude? Who are the most unfortunate people around us? I'm going to give you three examples of them. According to our media and culture, there are those who have been led to believe that they are unfortunate, that they are hopeless. Those who think that God's goodness is not available to them because they're overweight. They're misshapen. They're bald. When in reality, the most glamorous person isn't as beautiful as a lily. And someone of so-called beauty or prestige usually has to put hours and hours and hours of time to look a certain way. Even though they look like trash, they've put hours into looking like trash. But the lily's beauty is effortless, right? Luke chapter 12, verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon, who had all the bling in the world, who had all the clothes, the jewelry, the personal trainers, nutritionists, Rogaine, all that stuff, Solomon, in in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Even though these outward appearances seem to be more on the surface, they're they're real struggles for some people, some real struggles of hopelessness for some people. And our society hasn't helped that image, has it? Just take a look at the checkout counter at a market or a magazine rack or a television or some type of ad, um, movie screen, television show, any other type of media. And a sad thing is that this unhealthy outlook preys upon those who are most susceptible to that type of persuasion. They target kids. They target teenagers. They target young adults. And they brainwash them to think that being thin here or being more robust there is, is a way to look. And you look at a Barbie doll. Barbie targets girls 5 to 11 years old. And I bring up Barbie because it's been the most popular doll since 1952. And I have two really beautiful baby girls that are probably going to play with them at some point in their life. And Barbie is always, if you go back to 1952, on the cutting edge of fashion. right? And what's on the cutting edge of pop culture? You just look at Barbie. But along with that Barbie doll is its measurements. And according to tween trends, if a Barbie were a human being, which many of you guys probably wish were true, 
Given her current proportions, she wouldn't be able to stand, walk, or even function as a normal person. Given the size of her breasts compared with the size of her body and feet, Barbie would literally fall over on her face if she attempted to stand. Her waist size and weight would be considered extremely unhealthy for any real human being. Barbie would stand five foot six, weigh 110 pounds, and have a 39-inch bust line. A little girl who grows up playing with that stuff and looking at Barbie and looking up to Barbie, who's the fashion trend center, setter and, and pop culture setter, is supposed to be like that? That body image isn't real. It's not realistic. That's not healthy. And in a study reported in the Journal of Devel- Developmental Psychology, researchers from Sussex and the University of the West of England looked at the effects of images on Barbie on 200 girls aged five through eight. And they were shown different images, including Barbie. And after the images were shown, the girls were asked to pick figures that represented their actual body shape, the, the body shape they ideally desired, and their ideal body shape as an adult woman. And the difference between the shape the girls thought they had and the shape they wanted, they, they analyzed all that. And the results showed that the girls between the ages of five and six were more dissatisfied with their shape and wanted more extreme fitness after seeing Barbie than seeing the other pictures. And for those six to seven years old, the negative effects were even greater. Now, I'm not supportive of my daughters playing with Barbie when they're older. But if they do, we're making those Barbies eat. <laughs> and, and it's not just girls, right? I mean, look at G.I. Joe's for boys. And I bring up G.I. Joe's because that was my favorite toy growing up. G.I. Joe was the thing. I'm excited for the movie coming out. I, yeah, I, I really i am there. So according to the International Journal of Eating Disorders, the relative size of G.I. Joe's muscles have gotten larger between 1973 and the present. So researchers scaled their measurements to approximate the dimensions of an action figure to a 5'8 male. And they found that G.I. My height, okay? They found that G.I. Joe's chest increased from 44.4 inches in 1973 to 54.8 inches today. His biceps increased from 12.2 inches in 1973 to 26.8 inches today. While his waist was increased from 31.7 to 36.5, and you're like, oh, good for them. They're showing like a real waist size. No, no, no. It's to show the sharply rippled abdominals of an advanced bodybuilder so that they can accentuate that torso. So the researchers noted that G.I. Joe would sport larger biceps than any bodybuilder in history. Our outward appearance has been unhealthily, unhealthily fostered from a young age for most of us, right? And even if it hasn't affected you directly because you weren't part of this generation, because I was part of that G.I. Joe generation, it's definitely affecting your kids or someone else you know in another generation. It's causing people to have a negative self-image and struggle with things such as eating disorders and unrealistic expectation of oneself as well as others. Why do you think pornography is so big? These, these guys don't have a realistic expectation of a wife. They're looking at Hollywood. They're looking at a magazine rack or something, and they're expecting their wife to look like that. They don't. They have kids. There's no way, right? So look at what people spend their time and energy on, and you'll look to, this, to come to this bleak realization that to be fat or to have thinning hair or to be wrinkled or bad complexion as a curse. That being this way brings about self-condemnation and they, they aren't accepted by others 
as they are. And we can try to reason with them about their condition, but that doesn't bring Jesus good news of the kingdom to them, right? What did Jesus do? Jesus took the time to point out the natural beauty of every human being. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And Jesus points out that the abundant life of the kingdom flowing through us makes us more beautiful than any other beautiful thing He has created. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, Now if God so clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O, son, o, o you of little faith? And the gospel is for a shallow society such as ours. A shallow society that has put so much importance in our outward appearance that it has made, been made into a life or death matter for many people, which is a very sad thing. But the Beatitudes that Jesus shared are for today as much as they were for the people on the mountain. Blessed, so, so blessed are the fat. Right? Blessed are the bald, the wrinkly. Blessed are those who are physically disgusting, who are misshapen and de deformed. Blessed are those who smell. Blessed are those who are too big or too little. Why? They're going to be hilariously celebrated over, right? A riotous party is going to be thrown for them. What's another beatitude of our time? How about the seriously crushed of our time? Let's move from something that's that's more of a, a surfacey thing to something a little deeper. What about those who have dropped out or flunked out of school? Those who can't hold down a job? Those who are flat out broke? A drug addict? Someone who's been divorced? Someone with a venereal disease? Someone with an incurable disease? Someone brain damaged? Someone who's been pregnant too many times or pregnant at the wrong times or can't get pregnant at all? Someone unemployed? Someone that's been replaced by someone at a job? The parents with children living on the street. Or the children with parents who are not dying in a rest home, just waiting to die. The lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved, the emotionally dead. And the list goes on and on. You can probably put it in your head, the more serious things. And there's a hymn entitled, Come Ye Disconsolate. And in that hymn, there's this line that sings, Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. And that's the good news of heaven's availability that comes to us through the Beatitudes. And Jesus offers to all those previously mentioned deplorable conditions that I just mentioned a present blessedness of the present kingdom right now. Regardless of our past, regardless of our circumstances or our conditions, He makes it available to us right now. And the condition that you and I and, and everyone else out there has been looking for since the beginning of man can be reached in a gentle, quiet, peaceful, life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. So blessed are the seriously crushed, for Jesus is your friend. And I want to raise one more beatitude of our time. How about the immoral? Even those who are in moral ruin will be received by God as they come to trust in Jesus, rely on Him, and depend on Him. The kingdom is open to them as they choose to allow Jesus to be their companion. The terrorist, the child molester, the drug lord, the murderer, the pornographer, the predator, the perverted, the sadist, the wife beater, the war criminal, the pimp, the bigot, the rapist, the kidnapper, the human trafficker, the Osama bin Ladens of the world, the Unabombers of the world, 
the Saddam Husseins of the world. Can you now feel the sympathy for those in Jesus' time who were in amazement, in astonishment that Jesus was hanging out with sinners? Luke chapter 15, verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Can you believe it? And notice how Jesus lives out His message of the Beatitude. He delivered the Beatitude several chapters before, right? In chapter 5. And this is now chapter 15, and He's living it out. And this is sometimes tough for me to accept because sometimes I'm like Jonah. I don't want someone to repent and come to God. I want them to pay for what they did. If you raped somebody or if you molested a child, go to hell. Right? So like Jonah, sometimes I don't want the kingdom of God to be open to these immoral people. The ones that I just previously mentioned. Jonah didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because he knew that if he preached, God was going to forgive them. No way, God. I want them to pay. But the fact of the matter is that it's within the heart of God to make the kingdom available to men and women like this. God didn't allow Jonah to die. Instead, He made Jonah swish and swash around in some fish stomach fluids for a while. And he was thrown up on shore. And he delivers his message to the Ninevites. And Jonah was upset that God didn't give the Ninevites what they deserved. That's like us sometimes. We want justice. We want them to pay, right? And the heart of God is also shown in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's God's heart. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We are all recovering sinners, right? Some of us here have accepted the Gospel and some of us here have been forgiven of some pretty gnarly stuff. If Jesus has made the kingdom available to us, surely we can say to our terrorists, Blessed are you and the kingdom of the heavens is available to you. No matter how hard it is to say that to them, right? And that there is forgiveness there that knows no bounds. And whether a follower of Satan or a liar who preys on the weak or a thief who steals from the elderly, God has blessings available for them. Blessings as they run to the kingdom of God. Such is what happened with one of the cruelest former Nazi camp guards with Corrie ten Boom. The guard was involved in the killing of her family members and she was reluctant for, to forgive this guy when he asked for forgiveness. But she prayed that she would be able to and she believed in the Gospel so she knew that she needed to pray for this. And so she wrote in her book, Tramp for the Lord, which awesome title, For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Any spiritually healthy faith community of believers in Jesus is going to look like this, where people who are knocking on the gates of hell are ushered to the gates of heaven. And if the faith community is is all good, we're all good, right? And nothing's ever wrong, and everything's in order, and there's no chaos, and everything's right, and it's, it's in the right place, and everything looks great on the exterior, i got a secret for you. Something's wrong. 
The Beatitudes are not a list of spiritual giants. They are an example of the spiritual nothings, of spiritual zeros, right? And God has made His kingdom available not just to the spiritual elite, but to the spiritually impoverished. Which brings us to this last verse we're going to talk about today, which I think is going to surprise some of you, or last set of verses. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice that Jesus doesn't shift His attention of the Beatitudes to a different audience. It's the same audience that He delivered from the end of chapter 4, verse 23, right? The people He delivered from all those poor conditions, deplorable conditions. He's telling these common people who are with Him on the hill that you're the salt of the earth. It's these very misfits who have found blessing in the kingdom. It's not the best people. It's not the brightest people. It's not the most popular people, the most glamorous people who are called the light of the world. It's these people, the scum of the earth. It's these previously hopeless people who are to make life on earth manageable for us and to live life in the kingdom. Not the ones who have it all together. Not, not the ones that have all their ducks lined up in a row. And God makes the hopeless the salt of the earth. He gives them the ability to preserve, to cleanse, to flavor the times through which they live. And God gives the hopeless light. That is, He gives them love, truth, and power to light up their surroundings wherever they go. And it's these very people and the people like them, people of very little importance to society, people without any qualifications, without any credentials, or the character that the world insists that we are to have that would make us necessary to be successful, to make the world work. It's not them. How things work among these so-called little people determines the character of every place and every generation. God gives these Once hopeless people a radiance to shine over others so others can see. So that others can live lives that aren't in the darkness anymore. But that their lives are full of brilliance and vitality. Verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus completely wipes out the social and cultural differences as the foundation of life under God. And Paul understood this and he knew the importance of obliterating these lines of division so that we live in harmony as humanity and not as this clan or this tribe or this race or this culture or this socioeconomic divide or whatever. That's what Galatians 3 is all about. Galatians 3 chapter 26 or chapter 3 verses 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you inherit the life of the kingdom, just as Abraham did through his faith. And Paul also addresses this new view of humanity to the disciples of Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9-11. through Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in a knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. 
And I want to point out to you the Scythian in verse 11 because I think the other terms are easier to understand. The Scythian was the lowest of lows in all of known humanity. They were brutal barbarians. They were savages, cruel people, vicious people. Yet the kingdom of the heavens is as open to the Scythian as much as it is to a proper Jew, as the most proper Christian. Blessed are the Scythians. Paul understood the good news of the Beatitudes. He didn't base anything on excellent speech or wisdom. What mattered to Paul was Jesus and His crucifixion. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He knew the Beatitudes and what Jesus was offering us. He knew Jesus was offering us hope by making the kingdom of heavens available to us through Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul knew this by living it. How? He killed Christians. He was a terrorist. He was someone that was for genocide. He wanted to wipe out all believers in Jesus. Yet the kingdom of the heavens was made available to him. And he changed. Just like any other group. I'm not saying blessed are you if you're a terrorist. I'm saying blessed are you. A terrorist is blessed not, in, not because of their condition, but in spite of their condition. Blessed is a child molester, not because they're a child molester, but in spite of their being a child molester. That God can make available to them a way to touch them and rescue them from their deplorable condition. Praise the Lord. At Rohi, the children's organization we support in Nakuru, Kenya, do you know who the most hopeful person is in the entire organization to a street kid? It's not a pastor. It's not a teacher. It's not a Christian missionary. It's a former street kid. A former street kid who was previously addicted to sniffing glue so that they can numb their hunger pangs, who stole in order to survive, who was either raped or is a rapist, who is HIV positive. And now they can share the availability of the kingdom of the heavens with those around them. They can now be a light in the street church. It's an outreach that they do every Sunday at the downtown park where they see hundreds of street kids. They feed hundreds of street kids here every Sunday. That's what part of Regen supports here, is that street outreach. And ones just like them not too long ago, that were just there on the street not too long ago, they can radiate the love of Jesus to the ones still struggling. They can now be salt. They can go preserve, cleanse, and flavor the very community that abused them not too long ago. It's not about the most perfect Christian going in somewhere to minister. It's not helpful to see someone who hasn't gone through what they're going through and come out shining on the other end. There's no hope for them in that. But if they see a former street kid, hey, we stole things together. We, we used to sniff glue together. We used to abuse that kid over there. Or we were abused by that older guy over there. There's their hope. They can see a deliverance from that. If I go over there, what am I going to do? Chinese guy. They go, from I don't know where you are. 
right? You offer me no hope, right? Like, what in the world can you do for me? There's no hope in that. It's about a redemptive community being made available by simply following the gospel of the Beatitudes. Former street kids can do what you and I can't do. They can offer hope to a current street kid like no other person. Blessed are the street kids of Nakuru, Kenya. Who's most likely going to be able to open the kingdom of heaven to another? Someone already in it. Someone living in it. Someone living their life as it's true. Some of you. If you're not already in it, you can be. There are people here that can help you with that. That are living in that. And there's hope for you. And if you are living in it, continue. If you just know it as head knowledge, there has to be something different. There has to be some transformation there. If it's just head knowledge, that's all it is. There has to be some life transformation inside of you. You have what is most needed in a hopeless world. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank You for the hope that You give us. Regardless of what we're dealing with, regardless of our past, that if we reach out to You and and we make real the availability of the kingdom to us, that You will deliver us from whatever that is. That You have a beatitude that's specific to us and our needs and what we struggle with. And from that, we can also offer a beatitude to someone else. And Lord, uh, just I'm really blessed by the opportunities that you've given us here, given us as a church. And I pray for wisdom as we move along to uh, be salt and light to this community, to this church, and abroad. Thank you for uh, blessing us so much and loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.